Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you govern all things both in heaven and on earth. Mercifully hear the supplications of your people, and in our time grant us your peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of Genesis. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. The word of the Lord. Please stand for the reading of the Psalms. I'm going to read the first um, phrase, and you can follow with the second that's in bold print. You make the springs gush forth in the valleys. They give drink to every beast of the field. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock. And plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth. And wine to gladden the heart of man. Oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly. The cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from Romans. So then, brothers... 
We are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live, live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as the sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory of God that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The word of the Lord. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on it. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They never sow, nor reap, nor gather in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek you first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Suffer the day its own trouble. The Gospel of the Lord. We do pray, come Lord Jesus, continue to lead us um, in this time of corporate worship. We thank you for your promise, um, as we have gathered today in your name, that you are here with us. May we have open ears to hear from you. And Lord, on this day, as we consider your words from the gospel, we just place our anxieties into your hands. Pray, Lord, that we would know a peace that comes from knowing you. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. 
So I was once uh, listening to a radio program, a, a news program, and the reporter was interviewing um, a, a police investigator about an art crime, about some paintings that had been um, stolen. And if I remember correctly, some of them had been recovered, uh, but um, they had suffered um, damage um, in the recovery process or somehow, or maybe those that stolen them had damaged them. And when um, the police investigator spoke about the damage that these paintings, and they were very valuable paintings, had suffered, the vandalism that they had suffered, the reporter made the sound of anguish. He was like, oh! And you could tell, right? I mean, he was really emotionally upset by hearing about the damage done to these works of art. And I was struck when I heard it because I listened to this radio program a lot. I was familiar with this reporter. I'd heard him report about genocide, about war, about violent crime. And I'd never heard him have that kind of emotional reaction that he had in the description of these paintings being damaged. And as I thought about that, I thought, okay, I, I don't think it's because he thinks paintings are more valuable than people. I, I hope he doesn't believe that. But I wondered if some of it was maybe the unusual nature of the crime but I wondered, maybe even more so, there was a way in which the, this, these things of beauty, right, these paintings being gratuitously you know, damaged just brought home for him how heartbreaking it is when anything of value, anything of beauty, anything of worth is damaged. That they sort of represented, right, just the, the news that he had to share every day of violence being done to creation and to beautiful things. We're in a series where we're thinking about what does it mean to live out our identities as those who belong to God, our King, and who live in His kingdom, a kingdom which is breaking into this earth. How do we live out our citizenship, right, as members of the kingdom? And today in particular, I want to think about stewardship. And by stewardship, we basically mean management of resources, right, how we care for resources, but specifically for us as Christians, how we care for God's resources, How do we care for the things that ultimately belong to God, which is everything, but that we're called to to steward, to to care for, to to manage? And in particular, I want to think about our stewardship of creation. There's all sorts of ways we can think about creation or think about stewardship and approach um, stewardship, right? Or stewardship of money, stewardship of our talents and and our personal giftings, right? But again, today I'm going to focus on how do we care for the earth? Right? And I think it's especially important for us to consider this as we think about we're citizens of the kingdom, or we belong to a kingdom not of this earth. And sometimes I think people wrongly apply that and say, well, therefore, we don't care about the earth. Right? But that would be a wrong application of what it means to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. William Temple, a, a former um, Archbishop of Canterbury, said Christianity is the most avowedly materialistic religion of all religions. Maybe we hear that and we think, what? Like, that's not right. I knew those Anglicans were kind of off. Like, why is he saying Christianity is materialistic? He doesn't mean that in the sense of, you know, that we, you know, look to material things to tell us that we're valuable, right? That we try to get as much stuff as we can. He means that we value material things because God created material things. He created them and he said they were good, right? And God himself became flesh, became man and continues. He is still fully human and fully God, and reigns all over all creation, right, as one who has a body, as one who is embodied, right? And so we're materialistic, and therefore we care about material things, and we are called to steward them. So I want to consider that today, consider our stewardship over creation, right? And I have three points that are very easy to remember, because I know people are always saying to you, what did your pastor talk about this week, right? That's the common conversation that you have, and this week you're going to say, 
I have a very clear answer. My pastor talked about caring for creation, and we care for creation for the Lord, like the Lord, and with the Lord. All right, so we care for creation for God, we care for creation like God, and we care for creation with God. All right, so let's begin at the beginning. Uh, Genesis 1, always a good place to begin as we consider a creation. And again, the first thing we should say, which I already mentioned, is when God created the earth, he said, it is good. Again and again, as you are probably familiar with in the creation account, God saw the earth and saw that it was good. And that's familiar to us if we're used to the creation account. Many people are. But we should make sure we don't miss out on how profound that is. How important it is that God looked at creation and said it was good. And that we fight against any thinking that says, oh, the earth is just bad, right? And we're Christians, we're spiritual people, which we are, right? We are filled with the Holy Spirit, but we value creation because God said it was good. Now, sometimes we hear that and we say, well, yeah, God said it was good in Genesis 1. But then you have Genesis 3 where sin enters into the world and there is the fall and destruction takes place. And so from then on, creation is bad. Right? And yes, creation is fallen. Right? There's no denying that. We see it regularly all around us, the way in which sin affects the physical world. And yet, we also see in the scriptures that the beauty, the goodness of creation continues to be upheld. And so we just heard it in our gospel reading. Right? Jesus ta- speaks about the lilies of the field and he says they are more beautiful than Solomon in all of his splendor. Right? The richest, most prosperous king of Israel. And Jesus says, looking at a lily, you see more beauty in that than looking at Solomon, all dressed up. There's so many examples we can give. Another one of my favorite along the same lines, thinking about Solomon. The Song of Solomon, this great love song um, in the scriptures, when the the lover in the Song of Solomon wants to describe his beloved and uphold her beauty, what what does he use to describe the various attributes of his lover, right, of his beloved, right? He says, you know, he compares her and her different attributes to the things from creation. He looks at creation, the beauty of creation, and says, these are the only things I can use to describe how beautiful my beloved is. So we see creation being upheld as something good, right? Yes, affected by the fall. Yes, given over to destruction right now. We'll say more about the ultimate destination of creation, right? But good, and God values Right? And so God creates all things, and then he creates male and female. He creates humanity. And we see in the creation account that there is a difference. And again, this is obvious when we read the creation account, but it's good to come back to and say, oh yeah, that's important. The male and female are in a different category than the rest of creation. We are cre- creators. Cre- we are creatures right, made by the creator, but we are made in the image of God. Let us make man in our image. So the beginning of our Genesis reading, after our likeness, And let them, male and female, have dominion over the fish of the sea. And we see that again, right? God created man in his own image, verse uh, 27. And then we see again in verse 28. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion. So there is leadership given to male and female, to humanity. They are given responsibility to care for creation, right? Dominion, right? Subdue creation. And so when you look at your yard and you see a weed in your yard, you can say to that weed, I have dominion over you, right? You are a living thing, I am a living thing, but I am a different category than you are. You must leave my yard, 
right? Weeds don't listen, so then you can subdue that weed, right? You can pull it out, right? Matter of fact, you're the one who decided it was a weed, right? It thinks I'm a good plant, but you say, no, I say you're a weed, right? Because this is my yard, right? It's ultimately God's yard, um, which we'll get into um, in just a second. But we have that call to dominion. But like I said, we have dominion over creation as those who are under dominion, right? So yes, we are called to subdue the earth, to have dominion over it. But very clearly, this is for the Lord, And when I say we have dominion for the Lord, I mean we do it for his glory. We do it for his honor, right? We care for creation out of those who love God and worship him. But we also do it as those who are answerable to him, who have accountability to God. So we care for creation for God, knowing he's given us this responsibility and he's the boss, right? We're the managers, but he's the owner of all things. If you're familiar with the Kenyan liturgy, which we often say, right? I love that the, the liturgy um, comes from the Anglican Church of Canada, um, of Kenya, um, different, um, the Anglican Church of Kenya, and upholds God as the owner of all things, right? Simple, but just so profound. He owns everything, and we're the managers, we're the stewards. That's at the heart of stewardship, is remembering everything I have ultimately belongs to God. Now, we may hear that and say, Okay, but sometimes, actually, if you're not the owner of something, you care for it less. I mean, that's often a dynamic. Not always the case, right? But it's kind of the perception, right? A homeowner cares more for her home than a renter does. Again, that's not always the case, but I think that's our general thinking. If you own something, it's more valuable to you, right? If you're borrowing it or using someone else's, it's less valuable. But I think that dynamic changes if we know the owner, and even more so if we're answerable to the owner. Uh, many uh, years ago, before um, our family had a dog of our own, uh, we cared for um, a dog uh, for a whole um, year. Um, a wonderful uh, dog that belonged uh, to the uh, Carlson uh, family, uh, Blair and Elizabeth and Ellie and Megan. Um, they were in uh, South Africa uh, for a year doing a ministry assignment there. They couldn't bring Oscar, their dog, with them. And so we happily volunteered to care for Oscar uh, for a year. Um, Oscar uh, was a very good dog, and he was the most polite dog I've ever met. He's British, and so, or was British, so I think that affected Oscar's personality. Um, and so we joyfully cared for Oscar uh, for a year. But during that time of our stewardship um, over Oscar, there were some extremely cold days. And I remember on those cold days, looking at Oscar, and I'd think about what I said to Blair and Elizabeth before they left. I will make sure Oscar is walked every day, right? I, I made the promise. And so I look at Oscar, I think, I'm going to have to answer to the Carlson family when they get back. That I walk their dog every day. And so Oscar and I would take very short, very brisk walks around the block, right? But I could check that box. And so being answerable to someone, right, it increases, it should increase our sense of responsibility. And God has given us an incredible responsibility, right? He has entrusted us out of love for humanity who made in his image to care for creation. And so we care for it as those, again, who are under his dominion, who have been given this responsibility. So we are stewards for the Lord. But what does dominion look like? What does it mean to subdue creation? And there have been those who have argued, actually, that that language used there has been used as an excuse or actually permission by Christians, by believers in the scriptures to exploit creation. That people actually say, oh, that's awful, right? That it says in the word of God that people should have dominion and subdue creation because that's actually led to people exploiting creation, consuming it selfishly, right? Because they have the attitude, right? Given to them from the word of God, we have dominion. We can do whatever we want, 
right? We've been given dominion, therefore it doesn't matter how we create the earth. Or it only matters that we do it for our own good. But we have to ask the question, right? And honestly, those words dominion, especially the word subdue, can have that sense of harsh treatment. Subdue can also be translated subject, subjugate, right? which we get that sense of harshness in that. Dominion can be used that way, although often in the scriptures, dominion is used to warn against harsh um, treatment and harsh rule. But they can't have that idea. So we should ask the question, well, what do those words mean? How do we understand living out subduing creation, living out dominion over creation? And this is where it's important to note this is given in the context of we were created in the image of God. And so we have to ask the question then, if we're created in the image of God and we're called to have dominion, what does God's dominion look like? What does it look like when God subdues creation? And so we can look through the scriptures and say, what does God's dominion look like? Well, look at Psalm 104. What an awesome description of God caring for creation. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. This is on page six of your bulletin. They flow between the hills. Right? From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock, plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man. Oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly. Right? You see there so clearly. How does God care for his creation? What does his dominion over creation look like? It's abundant. It's joyful, right? It's, it's caring. You, you provide wine to gladden the heart of man. Oil to make his face shine. Right? There is this loving care, this benevolent dominion over creation. Right, a couple of other places, and there's so many um, we could look at, but a couple more that are uh, fun, quite honestly, to um, emphasize. Psalm 145 specifically speaks of God's dominion. It begins, your dominion endures, speaking to the Lord. But then right after that it says, the Lord upholds all who are falling. He raises up all who are bowed down. You open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. So God in his power, in his dominion, specifically lifts up those who are bowed down, specifically helps the weak. God is a gentle ruler who opens his hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing. Or consider the Ten Commandments, the the Sabbath, the command of keeping Sabbath. And I think we easily forget this because the Sabbath command is actually quite a long command. And when you read through the Ten Commandments, it says, keep the Sabbath, right? You must rest on the day of the Sabbath. You must give rest to your servants on the day of the Sabbath. And you must give rest to your animals on the day of the Sabbath, to your ox, to your donkey, to all your animals. So God cares enough about creation, cares enough about animals that they're included in the Ten Commandments. Don't exploit them. Don't mistreat them. Actually give them rest. I should have used that for Oscar. I can't walk him on Sundays, right? He needs, he needs rest. Uh, no, I walked him every day. So, um, um, but, right, so God cares about creation. And then finally, again, there's so many examples of finally in our, in our reading um, from, uh, uh, from Matthew, from Jesus, right? He says God waters the plants. He feeds the birds. He's caring for creation. And so when we consider the dominion and subduing creation, we do that like God. We are to imitate him. We are under his dominion, and therefore, as we care for creation, we do it as God cares for creation. And so, yes, there are ways we're called to subdue creation, right? We're called to break up earth and plant things in it, right? We're called to clear areas, I believe, and build cities, Places where people can live out their vocations. We talked about earlier um, in our series. Places that we can live together in community. We're called to use the earth's resources to create 
medicine and machinery, right, and buildings and so many different things. And so there's a right way to subdue the earth, that we're the right way to live out our authority, but we do it as those who are under authority. And again, we're under the authority of a God who cares deeply about creation and values creation and calls us uh, to, to value, to be gentle um, rulers over creation. And that then brings home, right, if we care for creation like God, we also care for creation with God. We are stewards alongside God. Many of you may be familiar with the term deism to describe a, a certain sort of religious belief. And deism basically says God created the world and then kind of, you know, removed his hands from it. That he said, all right, here's the world. It's, it's running. It's fine. You take care of it. I'm not going to intervene anymore. Now, obviously, as Christians, we reject deism. We say God is active in this world. He is involved in creation. But I think sometimes in regard to creation, specifically, right, the physical creation, in regards to the world, we can sort of be partial deists. Like, we can say, God cares about my soul. He's redeemed me. He saved me, right? I'm going to heaven when I die. But this world, God's kind of removed his hands from this world. He's left it on its own. And tied into sort of the partial deism, I'm going to throw out another ism, right, is Gnosticism. And there's a lot to say about Gnosticism. We see its influence even in the, the scriptures. You can see ways in which the, the scriptures and the early church is teaching its Gnosticism. Gnosticism has all sorts of dynamics to it, but one element of Gnostic belief is saying creation, physical things, in and of themselves are bad. The material things are bad. And again, you can see how this creeps into Christianity today. That we have kind of this dualism of spiritual things are good, right? And again, small as spiritual, um, not speaking about the Holy Spirit, but just sort of non-material things are good, physical things are bad. And that thinking can creep into our care for the world, right? If we kind of believe, well, ultimately, the world's not really important. It's only the, the spiritual, the soul things that God cares about, then why would it matter how I create, how I commit, how I care for physical things, right? If, again, what's really important to the Lord is only the spiritual. And so, again, as we consider that, then we have to look at these passages that we just looked at but wait a second, God still cares about his creation and is still caring for it. He's feeding the birds, Jesus says. He's clothing the grass. He's making sure, right, that the, the world is well watered and cared for. So we are working alongside him. We are partners with him, under him, under his authority, but one who's continuing to work. And then the question becomes, what's the end goal that of creation? Where ultimately is creation going? How is God caring for his creation? As I was thinking about this, the analogy I thought of is, you know, let's say you're hired for a job to make furniture. And you come into the store to make furniture, and the boss says, you know, this is my store. I'm going to work alongside you. We're going to work together so that you learn sort of from me how we make furniture in the store. And so you start to work on the chair, and you're working on the chair, and you realize, man, this chair looks great, but I don't think it's very sturdy. I don't think it's very well made. I don't think it's going to hold up someone if they sit down. I think it'll break. And so you say to the boss, you know, I'm trying to follow your lead, but it doesn't seem like this chair is very sturdy. And the boss says, well, you know what, I forgot to mention, actually, no one's ever going to sit in this chair. We make furniture, but it's only to photograph it to be used in magazines. I don't know if that's true, but anyway, I made it up. So, but let's say there are furniture stores like that. All right, so that would totally change the way you make the furniture, knowing what is its end goal? Where is this furniture ultimately going to be? And what is the end goal of creation? What does God tell us? Where ultimately is creation going? If you look at our Romans reading, and there's a lot going on in the Romans reading, but let's focus in on what does it tell us about creation. Verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing 
for the revealing of the sons of God. What does that mean, the revealing of the sons of God? We'll jump down to verse 23. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Just to note that, I think Paul uses sons because in that time and that culture, sons were who got the inheritance. Unfortunately, daughters did not get an inheritance. So actually, I think he uses sons. He's saying men and women, sons and daughters, are sons and that we have an inheritance. And part of that inheritance is the resurrection of our bodies, the redemptions of our bodies. And so he is telling us creation waits with eager longing for the resurrection of humanity's bodies, for a coming resurrection. Why does creation long for the, long, for the cre- resurrection of our bodies? Well, because, verse 21, creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And so as we think of our full redemption, as we think of the full coming of the kingdom, as we think of God intervening in our lives, we look forward, as we say every day, every Sunday, in the Nicene Creed, we look for the resurrection of the body. That's our ultimate hope for resurrection. And we are told here, right, and we see it in other places, in particular the end of Revelation, right, that when our bodies are resurrected, all of creation will be resurrected. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And so God, if God's work in this world is ultimately to crumble up this world and to throw it away, then it would be hard to be really inspired to work alongside God sort of for a, you know, a failed project for something that ultimately he'll give up on. But if our work in this world is working alongside God who is redeeming creation, who ultimately will resurrect creation as he'll resurrect our own bodies, that makes all the difference in how we think about creation care and how we think about creating, caring for creation. Right? We care about our bodies, right? What we do with our bodies matters. That's at the heart of the Christian faith. Therefore, what we do with the world matters and how we live out our, um, our subjecting, subduing the world, how we live out our dominion is affected, right, by our understanding of God's redemptive work. So at this point, it feels like, you know, I should now give you a list of the ways that you should care for creation, right? There are lots of lists out there. Here's how you should care for the environment, right? And it's good to think very practically. As we think of these broad truths, right, that all creation belongs to the Lord, but we are stewards, then yes, we should apply that. But as I thought about, okay, how do I apply this? I remembered an ecology class I took in college. Um, it was a non-lab science class. So I could get a science credit and not have to do a lab. So I took ecology. Um, and it was a good class overall. But the final day, the professor kind of gave us the long list of ways we should be caring for the environment. And what I remember both is feeling overwhelmed, but also feeling like, I actually am doing some of those things, and you're just assuming I could care less about the environment, but I actually do care about it. And so I'm going to assume we care about the environment. We, we know these things. We know that God has said creation is good. Therefore, we're motivated. So my encouragement to you is to take some time, maybe today, maybe this week, to just wonder at creation. Just to step back and just enjoy how awesome creation is. Right, that it works, right? I'm not a scientist, but it works, right? We can eat food and we're, we receive nutrients from them. I used to watch lots of animal videos with my kids, and now my kids are older. We don't watch them very often. But we would watch those animal videos, and again and again, we'd say, that is so cool. That is so great. And that's, I believe, as we increase in wonders, we increase in delight in creation. That should point us to the creator, right? We don't worship creation, but creation points to the creator who made all things, and we celebrate him. And it should just lead us to just value creation. And what we value, we care for. What we love, what we delight in, 
we take good care for. Let's, let's pray for that. Lord, may you increase, first and foremost, our delight in you. That we would delight that you, the creator, love us so much that you've given us responsibility. Um, that you've called us to, to care for your world. But Lord, I pray that we also, in a right way, would delight in creation. As creation. As a, a thing that points to you. And Lord, may you show us in our individual lives what we can do to care for this world, how we can uphold the the goodness of the world, and how we can work alongside you in your redeeming work in creation. We pray for this and we ask for this. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.